Happy Father's Day. I didn't even preach yet. Oh, you're clapping at the video. Hey, I want to start this morning with a little trivia. And, and what I mean by trivia is, is um, it's a little dated trivia, but, but bear with me. Um, question, do you know what day of the year receives the most phone calls? I heard it. Mother's Day. Mother's Day receives the most phone calls in an entire year. Now, here's the trivia. What do you think happens on Father's Day? Now, it's a little dated, hear me, so when I say the answer, you'll get it. Any, any suggestions? The least, that's what you would think, right, because it's the most, but no. No. The most, now again, dated, collect calls. The most collect calls. Why? Man, you love your mom, you're calling her. Dad, he can pay for the call, right? Just a little trivia, just a little trivia to spice things up this morning. Uh, I, as I was getting ready uh, for this time, it's been crazy for me, uh, and, and Pastor Steve as well. When you lose the guy that's kind of been directing things, now all of a sudden you've got a whole lot going on, as well as like basketball camps, as well as like my own personal seven-man basketball team at home, and, and like all of this stuff. So it's taken me a little longer to get ready this morning than normal, and so for literally like two weeks, I've been kind of going through, what am I going to speak about Father's Day? It's only so much you can do, and so I came across a list. I came across a list of 50 reasons why it's good to be a man. Now, I'm not going to read all 50 to you. In fact, I'm not going to read you any of theirs. I put together my top 10 reasons why it's good to be a man. But before I do that, hear me. I'm not trying to offend anybody. I am simply telling you why I love being a man. Now, some of the things may pertain to you as a man. Some of them, they may not, even though you are a man. For instance, number 10, reason why it's good to be a man, because you know things about a car, unless you're Jim Good, who knows nothing about a car, and he has the trust that the mechanic is, uh, but as a man, I, listen, I grew up, my dad's fixing things. Today, I can change the brakes, I can change my oil, I can do, I can do most things on my car. It's good to be a man. Now, I'm not saying women can't do those things. They, they can. They're gifted. But for me as a man, I know things about a car. But let's, let's kind of get a little bit more real about reasons why it's good to be a man. Number nine, you'll like this one. You can go to the bathroom without a support group. You know what I mean? I don't need five people to help me go. I can go by myself. I'm qualified. I'm good. All right. Just... It's good to be a man. I don't need this. Here we go. Number eight. Number eight. If someone forgets to invite you to something, he can still be your friend. He can. There's lots of times that things happen that I don't get invited to, and I'm still friends with people that didn't invite me. It's okay. I'm not stepping on any toes, am I? Just making sure. Just want to make sure. Okay. Um, number seven's a little tricky. Well... They actually kind of go downhill from here. You can drop by to see a friend without bringing a little gift. I don't have to show up at my friend's house and be like, hey, man, brought you a little something. You just, you use it however you want. Just want you to know I was thinking about you. I don't have to do that. Nor do, do people show up at my, now listen, if you want to show up at my house and bring a gift, I'm all for it. But most of the time as guys, they're not showing up. Do, hey, dude, brought you some 10W40 for your truck. 
It doesn't, it doesn't happen, right? It's not happening. Uh, it's good. St- are we okay so far? We're all right. All right, hang on. Here we go. Number six, be careful. Wait, Kaylin, don't go. Just still love me, okay? Here we go. Number six, if another guy shows up at the same party in the same outfit, you might become lifelong buddies. Hey, dude, nice outfit. Great minds think alike. For some reason, women have a different concept, like, idea about that. I don't know why, but hey. All right, here we go. Number five. Number five. One wallet, one pair of shoes, one color, all seasons. All right? Unfortunately, (laughs) somebody said preach it. Uh, Listen, uh, 30 pairs of shoes and 30 purses, it's Labor Day, I can only wear certain colors, and Christmas, it's got to be, come on, listen, it's black, black shoes, black belt, that's all I got, you know what I mean, Um, I'm just, I'm just saying, we still all right, all right, just, it's Father's Day, I can get away with this stuff, all right, here we go, Uh, uh, number four, and listen, there's always a game somewhere, there's always a game on somewhere, It could be curling. I know nothing about curling, but I will watch it because it's a game and it's way better than maybe other conversations. I'm just saying, right? There's all, as a guy, there's always a game on. You could know nothing about the sport, but you're going to watch it. It's a game. Cricket. What? I don't get it, but I'll watch it anyways. Number three, number three. Your pals can be trusted never to trap you with so, notice anything different? <laughs> Got my hair cut. Could you tell? Like, that's never going to, no guy's going to be like, hey, man. Anything? You think? What do you think? Like, nobody's going to do, no guy. If you do that, guys, I'm sorry. I'm not, I shouldn't maybe say no guy. If you do that, that's okay, but come talk to me afterwards and we'll, but I'm never going to trap another dude. Hey, man. Uh, anyways, uh, number two, number two, this one, again, not all guys, most. Okay, number two, uh, wedding plans take care of themselves. <laughs> wedding plans take care of themselves. I'm not worrying about all that. Now, my wife, she's not here this morning. We got a couple of kids of our tribe that's homesick, and so uh, she's watching online, and um, um, she would argue with this one because I was way more involved with the wedding plans than she would, but for the most point, don't judge me on that one. Last one. Here we go. Number one, Sports Center. ESPN. Who said amen? I'm with you. All right. Ah, uh, just something. It's good. It's good to be a man. Fifty. Well, my top ten reasons. All right. Hey, let's pray this morning, and then we'll dive in together into God's word. Lord, we love you. And Lord, this morning I, I pause because God, I want you to go before me. Lord, I want it to be all about you this morning as we open your word and we see how good and how great and how loving and how kind and how just a father you really are. Lord, I pray that you would allow your Holy Spirit to fill this place. And God, may the teaching of your word penetrate the hearts of your people. God, that life change may occur. We'll give you the praise and glory for what you do. It's in your precious and holy name that I pray. Amen. 
For me, growing up, I was pretty fortunate. My, my sister's here this morning with her husband, and I would say she was pretty fortunate. And the reason being is because of our father's presence in our life. And our, our dad was present in our life. He wasn't an absentee father. We didn't lose our father at a young age. My father was present in my life. And, and hear me, what that kind of looked like for me and, and my sister, for me, man, da- dad would do anything. He would be involved. Uh, football season would start. Dad was at a game. It would go in from football season to, to basketball season. From basketball season into soccer season and from soccer season into just a couple of baseball seasons because I, baseball just, it wasn't me. And I'll tell you how I figured that out. My dad took me to a tryout. I can remember my first tryout. PAL, Plantation Athletic League Baseball Tryouts. It's a night tryout. I shared this with our youth. My dad takes me out to the tryout, and the tryout's simple. You're going to hit three balls, you're going to take infield for like five balls, and then you're going to take outfield. No, no problem. Infield, knock it out of the park, man. My batting, no problem. I went three for three. I'm like, this is awesome. We'll get to the outfield. Now, listen, I'm, I'm pretty athletic. I know you can't tell it now, but I used to be, all right? I'm pretty athletic, pretty outgoing. And, and so we get to the outfield. I'm like, all right, I got this. And the, the coach is doing tryouts. He takes that ball. Boom, pop fire. I'm like, dude, no problem. I got it. I put my hand up. Boom! Nails me in the head. Now, I said I was athletic. I apparently didn't have hand-eye coordination, but I realized then that baseball really wasn't my thing. However, my father, he was still there. He would take me. If I wanted to do it, he was going. And so that just kind of happened year after year after year. My father's presence in my life was there. I, I was pretty blessed in a, a large Part of the reason that my life was not necessarily tumultuous or rocky was due in large part to the presence of my father in my life. It's interesting when you start to think about how people view their dads. And we all do it. There's different stages in how we view our father. Think with me for just a minute. Remember back when you were three years old? How did you view your dad? I'll tell you how you viewed your dad. Your dad was a superhero wasn't he? Remember when you were three? Your dad could lift anything. Lift the couch, get under there and clean, son. You know what I mean? Like he could do, he was a superhero. At the age of five, do you know how you viewed your dad? At least I did. At the age of five, my dad could beat your dad up, right? Probably still could today, just saying. But our views of dad they, they progressed, they changed. So from three, man, he was our superhero. At five, my dad could beat your dad up. At seven, hear me, my dad knew everything. But after seven, something starts to happen. It's called those junior high years. You know what I mean, parents? For some reason, after about seven, eight years old, into about... 10, 11, and 12, the way you view your dad changes. And you go from seeing your dad as this superhero, seeing your dad as the guy that can take anybody else to to literally knowing everything. At the age of 12, my view of dad is, is that dad knows nothing, right? He knows nothing. At the age of 15, my dad, my dad is 
dated. He's out of date. He doesn't know a thing that's going on. My dad is out of touch with reality. He's old-fashioned at the age of 15. At the age of 18, see, my dad just doesn't understand what I'm going through. He can't relate, right? Oh, listen, I'm not talking about my dad personally. All of a sudden, it got really quiet, right? Like, you understand the views of how we view our dads, right? We go through these stages. And after 18, once we kind of get out on our own, again, another shift in our thinking, we go from this, my dad's out of touch, my dad doesn't understand, my dad has no clue, to when you turn about to the age of like maybe 25, a little bit more mature in our thinking, maybe my dad knows a little. Maybe he knows just a little. So then we get to our 30s. I'm in my 30s, and I know this, that I need to make a phone call and see what my dad thinks. You know what I mean? You see, we start to change. And as we get older, at the age of maybe some of us 50, man, my dad knew everything, right? To maybe even into our 60s, and maybe not, Maybe not your 60s, maybe your teens, maybe, maybe you got to the point where you realized that you wish you just had one more opportunity to talk it over with dad, right? Why? Because you want the presence of your father in your life. This morning, we're going to look at a pretty famous story, a story that we're all pretty familiar with. You see, unfortunately, in today's society, there's not many role models that are really hitting the ball out of the park. And when I mean not many, we don't hear about them often. There are many guys who are living godly lives, being godly fathers, godly husbands, who are hitting it out of the park. But, but in, for the most part, in the general scheme of things, there's not so many role models that we're seeing come across our TV that are influencing us and our families and going, dude, that's who we really want to be like. However... Tucked away in God's word, there's actually an incredible story of a father. Most of us don't spend much time talking about him as a father because he gives up center stage to his two boys. And he lets them kind of be in the front. But this morning, if you have a copy of God's word, turn to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15 this morning, as we read. Now, again, it's a story that we all know. You don't know it as a fatherly story. We know it as the prodigal son. So Luke chapter 15, this morning, lessons from a father. I want to give you this morning three lessons that I believe that we can learn from a father, whether you are a father or not. Does that make sense? Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 11 The first lesson we can learn is this. We see him with an open hand saying, I release you. Watch this. We see this father in Luke chapter 15 with an open hand saying, I release you. Follow with me, Luke 15, starting in verse 11. And he said, who said? Jesus. Come on, man. Jesus said, these are the words of the Lord. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, 
Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the young son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. What's happened in the first couple of verses of this? What do we learn about this? I do this with our youth all the time. I'll read it. Okay, what do we learn? What do we get right away? What do we get? What do we know? Tell me. Who's in the story? Two sons and a father. What do we know about the two sons and a father? What? They have property. They have money. The story starts out with two sons and a father. The youngest son wants what? He wants his share. He wants his inheritance, right? And so he says to his dad, hey, give me my inheritance. And the dad gives him his property, his inheritance. And we see not, not just a short time later, once he gets it, what does he do? He splits. He says, I'm out of here. See you later. I'm out. And watch this. The father lets him go. He lets him go. Here's a dad, watch, who knows enough that what he puts into his child at a young age helps determine who he becomes in the future. Did you catch that? Here's a dad who knows enough that what he puts into his child at a young age will help determine who he becomes in the future. And so the dad lets him go. Some might say that this is a form of of tough love. Do you know what tough love is, anybody? What's tough love? (laughs) Letting go, thanks. Um, You're right. Here's my view of tough love. As a parent, there are times in your life as a parent that you go, you know what? My child's about to do something that I know as a parent's not good. I know as a parent I should probably tell them not to do it. But even if I tell them as a parent, they're still going to do it. And so I'm going to allow them to do it. And there may be a little pain involved. There may be a little discomfort involved. But I'm going to allow them to do it. Here's why. Because in feeling that discomfort, in feeling that pain, there's going to be a valuable learning lesson. It's called Tough love. Dr. Bob Barnes talks about this all the time. It's tough love. I have another view of tough love. Growing up in my house, we have dad-isms, father-isms. My dad would do this all the time with me and my sister. When we were about to do something that, as a dad, you go, man, like most parents, you're going to stick your finger in the electrical outlet. Don't do that. It's going to hurt. My dad, dad, just go ahead. Ah! And then he would make this statement. If you're going to be dumb, you got to be tough. I must have heard that seven million times in my life. It's tough love. Hey, if you're going to be dumb, you got to be tough. And so this dad, we see him with an open hand, and he says, I release you. He lets him go. Which begs the question, why is it that this young man wanted to leave his home? Why is it that he just wants to split? Why is it that he doesn't want to stay? So let me ask you this question. Remember back, for some of you, it was a long time ago. Others of us, not really that long ago. But do you remember in your mid-teens, maybe even early 20s, were you ready to go? Think about that. Most of the time, the reason you were ready to go were because why? Rules. Because mom and dad probably put some rules in place, put some guardrails in place, put some curfews in place to say, hey, listen, 
If you're living in our home, here's the deal. Here's our rules. Here's the curfew. Come home at this time. And you're like, but all my friends are staying out and I don't want to come home right now. And Man, think about this. Do you ever remember saying to yourself, man, I can't wait to get out of here. Man, I can't wait to live on my own. Am I the only one that thought that? No, listen, I love my parents. I just never want to go back. Like, you know, um, as a kid, you see those rules and you see those uh, structure as confining, as, oh, as bear, weight bearing. And you're like, man, I can't wait to get out of here. I can't help but think that that's what this young boy is going through. But he's like, dad, man, I, hook me up with my inheritance. I'm ready to go. I can't, because here's the deal. I believe that a godly father probably had some boundaries. That a godly father probably had some absolutes. That in my home, absolutely, whatever it is, you will love God or at least respect God. In my home, you will respect your mother and my wife. I'm sure that this godly dad had some very stringent and strict rules to where the son was like, man, I'm ready. I'm ready to go. Now watch this. You might see that as a negative thing. And I would say, au contraire. You see, dads, hear me. You see, we should not just provide materially for our families. We should, we should do that, but that's not the only thing that we should do. In fact, nor should they, we only be mental providers of encouragement. No, in fact, watch this. We need to be moral providers for our family. We need to put guardrails in place. Do you know what a guardrail does? Those of you that drive, you get the concept, right? You have a guardrail on the edge of a cliff. Hear me. Your goal is not to go near the guardrail. The guardrail is there to save your life. Some of us, we like to drive so close to that guardrail. We like to, do you realize it's there to protect you? To keep you from falling off the cliff? Parents, not just dads. Some of you are single moms. Put some guardrails in your home. Hey, you want to live in my home? Hey, guess what? Here's the guardrails. You want to live outside that? Here's a father who had an open hand who was willing to release his son. Even though, listen, even though that father, I'm sure, knew, hey, you know what? He's probably not going to make some good decisions. There's probably going to be some pain involved in what he's about to do. But he loved him enough to let him go. Do you know the unfortunate thing that happens all the time in, in, in our society? Hear me. And really particularly the church. And I'm trying to be very careful. But I've dealt with youth now for 16 years. And some of us as parents, listen, we have such a hard time doing this that we hold on so tightly to our kids that we end up losing our kids. There is some freedom that comes as they mature as responsibility grows, and we as parents need to allow them that. I loved, and hear me, I know I don't do everything right as a father. I know my parents didn't do everything right as a father, but do you know that we learn from our experiences? And so I say to all of our youth all the time, every trip we go on, if it's overnight, here's my first statement to them. You have 100% of my trust until you break it. Why do I say that? 
Because I want them to experience the freedom that comes with having my trust. Do what you're supposed to do. Enjoy it. Live your life to the fullest inside our guardrails. Some of us parents, we, we hold on so tightly. We try to protect them. And in trying to do that, what happens is we end up losing them altogether. We've got to be careful. You see, this father, we see him with an open hand who's willing to let them, him go. You know what's amazing? The father didn't have to give over his inheritance, right? Would you agree with that? Why? Why doesn't he have to give over his inheritance? The son did what? I'm sorry? He did ask for it. But did the father have to give it to him? He didn't because it's not the son's. It's the father's, right? The father worked for it. The father labored intensely for it. Not the son. It's not the son's. It's the father's. You see, the father didn't have to give that inheritance over to him. In fact, he could have denied it. It was his right as a dad to deny it. You know what else he could have done? He could have guilted his son. He could have said, you're going to leave now? You're going to take your inheritance? Do you know what you're doing to your mother's heart? He could have guilted him. He could have played the comparison game sometimes we as parents do, right? Why can't you just be like your older brother? But he didn't do that. He could have, but he didn't do that. Instead, here's what he did. Here's a dad who was willing to stand by what he had put into his boy from childhood. Luke, you've said that now a couple of times, and I'll tell you why. Solomon tells us in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6, that if we will train up a child in the way he should go when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now here's what that's really saying. You've got to understand something. That as you, as a parent, as a dad, as a mom, as you begin to put those guardrails in place and you begin to teach the truth of God's word to your kids at a young age and you begin to help write the words of God on the tablets of their heart, hear me. It's not saying that they're never going to go do their own thing. That they're never going to do things that are terrible. They still can. But as they grow up, as they mature, and they begin to realize the things that they're doing, do you know what they're going to remember? They're going to remember what you instilled in them as a child. That's why it's important to begin when your kids are so young, teaching them the word of God. And so here's a dad who remembered who knew that what he taught his kids, I'm sure, at home as a child would come to pay off later on. The idea is that in your home you lay the foundational groundwork for what is truth. That you put in the moral practices of showing how to love your wife as Christ loved the church. That you begin to show those examples to your kids at a very young age so that later on, man, they're going to remember the truth of God's word. Here's what I love about this dad. You see, not only, listen, not only did he give his inheritance to his son, you know what else he didn't do? After giving his inheritance, he, he didn't send out spies to follow up on him. He, he didn't send anybody else to check up on him and see what he was doing and make sure it was, no, he just let him go. I love the fact that This is a dad who knew that there was going to be some wrong decisions made and he still allowed his son to go. 
Here's what I do know, church. Listen, no matter if you're a Christian family or not, there's going to be some seasons of disappointment in your home. There's going to be some seasons of disappointment. The question is, will they remember what they were taught at a young age? The truth of God's word. Look at verse 14. We've got to keep going for sake of time. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods, the slop that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. How many times does this happen? Listen, do you know what's happened to this young boy? Hey, students, listen. In his desire to be free, in his desire to get outside the umbrella of authority, which was his home and his father, and he'd long to be free to be able to do what he wants, he now becomes slave to the very thing that he longed for. He's now feeding pigs and can't even take care of himself. You see, when we get outside the umbrella of authority that God has placed us under, oftentimes it leads to the very us becoming slaves to the very thing that we desired to get uh, on our own. Are you following with what I'm saying? And so, something then transpires and happens. Here's the good news. Though his dad had an open hand to release him, his dad never gave up on his son. His dad never said, well, I'm done, I'm finished, leave that one, write him off, no more with that one. No, look what happens, and this is very, very important. In verse 17, we read this, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? Did you catch what he said in the first half of verse 17? When he came, what? What does that mean when he came to himself? When he came to his senses. When he finally realized, wait a minute, the life that I so longed for, the life that I wanted to get out on my own, I'd go out on my own, and you know what? Maybe I just wasn't ready. Maybe I made some poor decisions, and all of a sudden it clicks. Watch. We now see the outworking of Proverbs chapter 22. We see the fact that a dad who trained up his son and it comes to his senses and he's going to realize in just a minute, wait a minute, my father's servants who are slaves have more freedom in my father's house than I do outside of my father's house. And so he comes to his senses and I can see this picture of a father who day in and day out, every morning and every night, is standing out on his porch, surveying the horizon, waiting to see his son come home. When all of a sudden it clicks in his young boy's mind and you see he comes to his senses and he begins to do something. Watch this. We go from seeing a father with an open hand saying, hey, I release you. To now we see a father with open arms saying, I receive you, my son. Look what happens with me. Verse 20, skip down to verse 20. And he arose and came to his father. But 
while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and bring a ring on it, put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet, and bring the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. We all know the story, right? The the son comes to his senses and he, he starts to come home. But look at the picture. Look at what Scripture says. How does the son come home? How? Okay, before he repent, well, he, he repents in his heart and then he begins to return to his home. How does he come? Listen, he comes walking home. The son is walking, but the father is running. Hey, listen, church. What greater picture of love than, than that? Here is a son who is broken, no doubt, who realizes his mistake, and he comes almost in shame, almost with his head down, comes walking home. And the father catches his son in the distance and realizes it's him and he is not walking. He is sprinting. He is running with arms wide open to his son because he's ready to receive his son. Watch. Do you know what you don't find? You find a father whose arms are open wide. You do not find a father with crossed arms. Oh, you want to come home, huh? You don't find a father with clenched fists. You want to come home? Do you know what you did to your mother? Do you know how painful that was? You don't see a father with pointing fingers. You you want to come to my house? You? You sinner? You don't have a father who interrogates him. So, what'd you do while you were gone? Oh, you did that? You can't come back into my house. Sorry. It doesn't matter what the son did. The father loves him. And maybe you're here today and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, our heavenly father. And the reason is because you think there's been things in your life that you have done that there's no way that God could love me with this disgusting sin and shame in my life. And I want to tell you, you have a heavenly father who has arms wide open waiting to receive you. You see, never were God's arms opened any wider than they were on the cross of Calvary. And in doing that, he paid the penalty for your sin and for my sin. And so, don't let that be a reason why you don't come to the knowledge of who Jesus Christ is today. You see, that father ran to his son. Watch this. That father's love was strong enough to let his son go. But it was also tender enough to receive him back. Do you see the picture? Last thing. Ah, Man, I got so much more. Last point. We'll go with this. We see him with an open heart saying, I respect you. Now I know why Pastor Brian got so frustrated. Real quickly, I just want to show you The son that comes back is different. How do you know that? 
Just go with me real quick. Look at verse 17. When he came to himself, he said, I don't have this on the screen, so just follow. When he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? What is that? That's a mental change. It clicks. And in that mental change, what happens? There's now a change of heart. Look what happens in verse 18. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned. He takes ownership of his wrongdoing. He doesn't blame shift. He doesn't put it on anybody. Dad, you drove me out of here. Your rules. No. He says, I have sinned against heaven and before you. And then he says this. You know what? My dad has every right to be disappointed in me. Look what he says in verse 19. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Watch. That right there, my friends, is the perfect picture of repentance. It's a complete 180 degree turn. What starts in our mind and we say, you know what? Something's not right. I've done something wrong. And as we confess that sin and we say, God, I have sinned against you and whoever else it may be. It is now a change of our heart's passion and desire to what ultimately does. It changes our behavior and our direction. The son that is coming home is not the same son. He's a changed son. He's a renewed son. He is now a son who's standing in the right relationship with his father all because of what the father did for the son he loved him and God loves you enough that he gave his only son that if you would believe in him you shall not perish but have everlasting life you see on father's day we we do we celebrate fathers and rightly so but really the greatest father is our heavenly father You know what's sad is that there are some people here in this room this morning, and I believe this, watch, that you have some relationships that are that are coming unhinged all because someone won't accept the forgiveness or accept the apology. Some of you dads, there's no way I'm going to invite them back into my home. There's no way after what they did. Do you know what God's word says? Love keeps no record of wrong. as the story goes on, we see the dad shift from the younger son to the older son. He receives him with an open heart saying, son, I respect you. If you look at verse 31 for sake of time, here's what happens. The older son pitches a fit, right? My younger brother's getting a party and he's gone away and I've been here. And you know what the dad does? The dad keeps things in perspective. You see, a father always keeps things in perspective. He says, number one, he says to his oldest son, hey son, number one, my presence is with you. I've always been with you. You've always been with me. He says, number two, son, I've taken care of you. I'll always take care of you. My provision, listen, everything I own is yours. He says, but as a father, do you know what the most important thing is? As a father, my son was lost and now he is found. He was dead and now he is alive. As a father, the greatest thing I can know is that my kids will know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So listen, maybe you're here today and you're like, Luke, I'm not a father I'm not even a son, I'm a daughter. Yeah, but maybe you're that prodigal son. And maybe today's the day that you need to run home to your dad. That you realize that you're a sinner 
in need of a Savior. The Bible says that if we confess our sins, that God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Maybe today would be that day. Our praise team is going to come and they're going to play. Here's what we'd like to do. We'd like to give you an opportunity to respond this morning. Maybe nobody does it and that's okay. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, you know what? I need to just spend some time down at this altar getting things right with my heavenly father because I've been that prodigal son who's been walking away and it's time for me to come home. What better day than on Father's Day to do that? Maybe there's a decision you need to make. As the band plays, would you come? Let's pray. Father, I love you. Lord, you are a good father. And Lord, it's my desire, oh God, that I would be an instrument for you to use. God, not that just my own children would know Jesus but Lord, that many would come to know you through the power of your Holy Spirit. And as the music plays, maybe there's a decision that you need to make. Maybe for the first time you realize that there's some sin in your life and that that sin would lead to death, eternal separation from a holy God. And if you were to die tonight, you don't know for certain that you would go to heaven. The good news is this, that God loved you enough to deal with that sin problem by sending his son to die on the cross in your place and in my place. And the Bible says that it is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ that would now cover you. If you believe in his death, burial, and resurrection, you would now stand as righteous before a heavenly father. If that's you today, as they play, as they sing, would you come? Pastor Steve will be here myself. Any decision. Maybe you just need some time in prayer. Would you come?